Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Wednesday, October the 28th. I'm here with Annika Smethurst. Annika, do you know where your passport is? I do. I made one of the worst investments at the end of last year by renewing my passport. I'd actually filled every page and I was so excited to travel this year. And it's collecting dust. How about you? Uh, I know where it is. Uh, I'm ready to use it as soon as possible. In a moment on The Briefing, we're going to find out that while our passports have been gathering dust, basically... They've also been gathering more power. We'll bring you the Passport Power Index in a moment on The Briefing. First, here are the big stories of the day. So I now officially declare Melbourne restaurants open for business. What a wonderful sound. After 111 days in lockdown, that is the sound of Melbourne officially reopening back up overnight. Super exciting. That was a ribbon-cutting ceremony at a popular city steakhouse. Uh, but it wasn't just pubs and restaurants throwing the doors open. There are also massive queues at Maya, Spotlight and Kmart, which is <laughs> pretty amazing on a Tuesday night. It's not what I was doing last night. Look, it was an upbeat finish to a pretty happy day for the city's 5 million residents with a second consecutive day of zero cases of COVID and zero deaths in Victoria. Yeah, very good news there. The conversation now is turning to border closures. Um, New South Wales, not quite ready to open the border with Victoria yet. They say they want to do it as soon as they can. We'll see how quickly they move. Tasmania's reopening their borders to New South Wales from next Friday. Queensland's expected to make an announcement on the border with New South Wales this Friday, just before the election. And WA is still very cautious. And it looks like Australia's first recession in 29 years might be over already. The economy went backwards in the March and June quarters and economists were concerned that that Victorian lockdown would hamper any bounce back into positive growth. But Reserve Bank Deputy Governor Guy DeBell said seemingly that's not the case. Growth elsewhere in the country was more more than the drag from Victoria and possibly the drag from Victoria was a little less than what we guessed back in August. Despite that good news, uh, economists are still expecting the RBA to cut interest rates even further by 0.15. That would bring them to a record low 0.1%. We'll know for sure at next week's Melbourne Cup RBA meeting. And the Prime Minister has given his strongest sign yet that JobSeeker, the renamed New Start payment, will remain above its pre-pandemic level of $40 a day. People can expect the COVID supplement to be going forward beyond the end of this year and at the precise level and, and uh, the arrangements that sit, would sit around that are matters that the, uh, the government is considering now and will be doing so over the next couple of weeks. So at the moment, around 1.5 million people, uh, that's 10% of Australians who are old enough to work, are receiving a payment of just over $800 a fortnight. It was boosted because of COVID, but the supplement is set to end on December 31. Yeah, there's no exact number around this yet. So far, the federal government has indicated that it will be higher than it was, but lower than it is now. Now, I wrote about this back in June. Figures I was hearing was that it might be between $75 and $90 a week more on the old rate. So that would take the base rate from $560 roughly a fortnight to 715. Yeah, the pressure's been mounting because this was an issue that was bubbling along way before the pandemic. Uh, For a long time, Labor and the Greens have been arguing that $40 a day is nowhere near enough and the whole of society would be better off if we paid people on JobSeeker or or Newstart more. Now, as a political reporter, Annika, it's kind of an art form, isn't it, reading into the coded language of statements like the one we just heard from the Prime Minister. What what did you hear in, in his statement there? 
Look, he was asked about this in question time yesterday by the independent MP, Andrew Wilkie. Now, you don't often get a lot of answers in question time. <laughs> it should not be called answer time. It definitely is a question time without answers usually. But I think Scott Morrison is one of the few prime ministers that when he does speak, you can actually work out where he's going to go by the stuff he says. So he didn't come out yesterday and say that rate's definitely going up and it's going to settle at $700 a week. But he said... It probably will be higher than last time. And the fact he's saying this, we've had other ministers saying it, a lot of backbenchers have been publicly pushing for this. But coming from the Prime Minister, that really is a strong indication that it won't be going back to uh, that old base rate of $560 a fortnight. And so much happening in America right now. We're now exactly one week away from the presidential election. Can't wait till it's over. (laughs) Firstly, as expected, Donald Trump's nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, has been confirmed to the US Supreme Court for life. Now, we covered that topic on Monday's briefing, if you want to know more about that one. Yeah, that's seen as a massive win for Donald Trump and the Republicans. Meanwhile, Joe Biden's being caught up in what appeared to be a bit of a strange blunder where he appeared to forget... Trump's name during a live TV interview. The character of the country, in my view, is literally on the ballot. What kind of country we're going to be? Four more years of Georgia. Georgia, he uh, is going to find ourselves in a position where, if uh, Trump gets elected, uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be in a different world. Oh boy, that was hard to watch. Now Biden's camp says he said George because the interviewer was named George. Nothing to do with George Bush. Not at all. (laughs) Trump, too, accidentally accused his opponent of wanting to give Americans a tax break. He's going to give you the biggest tax cut in the history of our country. Clearly, he meant tax increase. Um, So both sides are having their awkward moments there. There's been a a lot made, Annika, of the age of these two candidates, um, particularly Joe Biden, 77, um, sometimes being a bit slow with his words, people saying that, you know, they've been watching out for him to have a a seniors moment. Trump is only three years younger, though, so um, we'll, we'll keep an eye on both of them, obviously. Um, overnight, Barack Obama continued to campaign for his former vice president in the crucial swing state of Florida. We have to leave no doubt. We can't be complacent. We were complacent last time. Folks got a little lazy. Folks took things for granted. And look what happened. Not this time. Yeah, it's getting intense, isn't it, Annika? It's so dramatic and fascinating to watch. It's sort of like a car crash. You can't look away. I can't remember being so transfixed by a US election. I recall last time, not a lot of work got done in the Federal Press Gallery. Everybody's eyes were focused on what was happening in America, and I suspect that's going to be the same this week. Yeah, well, one week to go, and then we can maybe focus on our own politics a bit more. All right, in just a moment, the power of the passport. Your passport might be gathering dust right now, but you're about to find out how powerful your Aussie passport is or how powerful it will be once you can actually use it. Did you know passports are ranked? There's a power ranking index and we're about to find out who's gone up and who's gone down during this COVID pandemic. Yeah, now government might not allow us to actually leave the country just yet, but there will be a time, probably next year, where we can go overseas. So make sure it's up to date. And then we'll be able to tell you where you'll be able to go, how many countries that little blue book will take you to when the walls finally come down. Yeah, you're also about to find out how our passport compares to New Zealand's. Um, The index is run by a Canadian financial advisory firm called Artin Capital. Armand Artin joins us now. Um, Armand, what makes a passport powerful? What are you ranking them on? 
So the password index uh, measures is a, the only global leader actually that shows a real-time ranking of passwords. And it's a very objective and simple way. It's where a passport allows its citizens to travel without visa or visa on arrival. There is no any other unobjective ways to measure it. So depending on the number of countries out of 199, which is the UN recognized official number of 193 countries and six territories, we go by the number of uh, countries that you are able to visit without visa or visa on arrival. And of course, considering the COVID restrictions of travel, which are changing this ranking on a daily basis right now. Right. So is it, is it just on how many countries you can arrive at without a, a visa or do you also rank it on, um, you know, residency and work and, and those other sort of criteria that come with a, a nationality? No, it's very difficult if we start um, involving any other criteria such as quality of life, um, average income, taxation or residency requirements or how easy it is to obtain the citizenship. Um, it become a very difficult formula. A passport really is measured by what it provides to its citizens as a travel document. It is a travel document. You all have local ID cards, but when you leave the country, you can't leave it without your passport. So the, the power of that little paper book that hasn't changed for the last 100 years, um, and it's hopefully about to change with some technology or interruption of how we will travel in a post-COVID world, um, I believe that uh, the in, uh, Passport Index for the last five years um, has been measuring uh, the power of passports and providing daily information of where exactly you need a visa or don't need a visa, where you can apply to an e-visa, which is still a visa. As long as a country can not allow you to enter it, that doesn't really give you the power or the freedom to travel um, to the countries. So obviously none of our passports are very powerful right now. But has COVID had any, I guess, long-term impacts on where a country might rank on this list? Or is it just that none of us can travel anywhere at the moment? Oh, no, no. Uh, a lot of people can travel to many places at the moment. And uh, Australian passport is, is one of those that does allow their citizens to travel to many countries. Um, however, yes, the COVID did change something. Previously, um, the access of a country with visa or without visa would be determined by something which is called a visa-free agreement between two countries. That means that the foreign ministry of these countries will sign an agreement, unilateral or bilateral, allowing its citizen to enter reciprocally their, their countries. In the COVID, what we have realized that is actually a lot of countries are no longer respecting these visa-free agreements, but they're imposing a stricter rules that can ban travel for these citizens based on the way how these countries have managed the pandemic. So yes, considering the level of infection by a thousand people gives you the magic formula in which they will rank you from a high risk to a low risk. And even if you have a visa-free agreement, they will still not allow you to enter. So it has completely changed the way of um, other countries are allowing foreign citizens to enter is no longer only by the agreements than by their foreign ministers, but it is by the way this any country manage its crisis and how the citizens represent or not represent a, a medical risk for international travel. Okay, so given Australia and New Zealand have been handling the pandemic very well, um, right up there with countries like Taiwan, does that mean our passport power has increased? 
Absolutely. You um, actually, as an Australian passport, are in a position right now which you have never been in in the pre-COVID world. Um, just because your your government had an amount of countries that they had agreements for for allowing visa-free travel for its citizens, but you're right. The way that New Zealand and Australia has managed uh, the pandemic, um, which is very exceptional, and, and congratulations sitting in Europe uh, right now. Uh, we believe that, uh, and not only us, but the rest of the world um, salutes your government by allowing your citizens to travel to more countries than pretty much anybody else. Okay, so we're just going to hold out for a little bit longer as to how far we've gone up the list, whether Australia has made it to number one yet. Great to hear that we've been, um, I guess, improving our passport power. What about the countries who've done um, badly in in handling the pandemic, like America? Um, Has their passport power gone down? Oh, absolutely. Um, The US passport is one that actually has dropped the most. Because on one side, it was always been in the top uh, five passports um, over the last decade. Um, that means that they always provided access to 160 country plus for their citizens. Right now, American citizens cannot travel to more than about 80 countries. Wow. And that is a drastic drop of about 64% um, for, for what the mobility of uh, the American citizens are. And of course, Europe was the main country or a group of countries that um, in the beginning of the summer, summer banned U.S. Uh, citizens to travel. This created a whole new, I would say, even wave in, in U.S. asking about how it's possible the U.S. almighty powerful passport and American citizens cannot enter um, Europe. Many of, of Americans started looking for residency or other citizenship allowing them to to enter the Schengen zone or the European Union. Speaking of the EU, obviously Brexit has impacted how you travel around Europe. What has that done to passport rankings? Not really, because um, as you know, the Brexit deal is not signed yet. So um, de facto, your uh, British passport hasn't really changed anything in terms of access within the European Union. Uh, one of the main point of negotiation still between London and Brussels is what kind of rights British citizens will have in Europe and European will have um, in, in Britain. While we're definitely not talking about rights of living and working, uh, the rights of travel, it's still not been determined and it's not been revoked. So as such, I would say um, the, the, the Brexit didn't impact yet, except changing the color. As you know, they went from red back to blue um, <laughs> and uh, reinforced a little bit the Commonwealth colors as uh, Canada, um, Australia and other countries where they kept the blue as, as a, uh, the only one out of four colors that are normally accepted for uh, passport uh, covers. All right, it's time for the reveal, Armand. Um, Let us have it. Does Australia have the most (laughs) powerful passport in the world? Not quite yet, but nearly there. Um, Australia does uh, rank um, pretty high as a number three with access to 132 countries as of today. Tomorrow is another day. And the difference with the number two is only one country. New Zealand, together with Japan, Ireland and Switzerland and few European countries have access to 133. 
And the most powerful passports are still German, 134 countries together with South Korea and Luxembourg. So you can see that right now with the COVID, a difference of one country that gives you access or less can really make that change. And it does change daily in terms of the ranking in the top five passports, because the difference is normally between one and three passports. Um, and Canada just uh, three days ago, um, you know, European uh, Union announced that they will not allow Canadian passports. So from number five, if that becomes effective from 1st of November, would mean that Canadian passport goes down to pretty much where the U.S. passport is, only because of the way they have handled the pandemic. 130 odd countries isn't too bad when you look at the 193 countries recognised by the UN. I have to ask, though, what's the least powerful passport? Which one would you really not want to be traveling and going to an international airport? Unfortunately, COVID hasn't changed anything about the bottom of the list. Um, so the bottom of the list always um, is been the same uh, countries that have the less uh, access to um, visa-free mobility. And this is Iraq, Afghanistan, um, Somalia, Syria. This is the, the, the always been the, the bottom four or five uh, passports with Yemen mainly because of the security concerns. It has nothing to do really with uh, the, the pandemic because um, before they would access 47 countries or 50 countries. Now they can access only 30 countries. Uh, the problem is uh, those countries represent high security risk in terms of international travel and mobility. And this is why the rest of the world always will require for proper visa procedure that will require vetting and uh, very difficult steps in order to allow their citizens to enter neighboring and uh, countries around the world. So what country is the hardest to get into? It sounds like there's some countries that just won't allow anyone in. <laughs> That's a very good question. So we have something called the welcoming index. Um, and surprisingly, actually, the welcoming index is very often the same countries who are on the bottom of the list. They wouldn't let anybody else enter those countries without the list. Australia, by the way, is actually right now not letting anybody else than Australia. Again, purely from COVID perspective, and this is maybe the reason why uh, you um, are managing it so well, by only allowing Australian citizens or residents to enter the country. Uh, but again, normally Australia would have uh, about 100 countries that can enter without a visa. Now this has been brought to zero, the same as Hong Kong, New Zealand, Canada, uh, and many, many countries. All right. Well, very interesting to hear that we were pipped at the post by New Zealand. Um, anything that involves a rivalry between our two countries gets our interest, uh, <laughs> um, including your index. Um, really fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us, Armin. Thank you for having me again. And uh, we'll be very happy to report uh, very soon that uh, you might be better than, uh, than your neighbours. <laughs> That was Armin Artin, President and CEO of Art and Capital and founder of the Passport Index. It's interesting, Annika, I didn't realise our passport was so powerful. I think a lot of Australians are like, well, all these people in the EU can live in and work anywhere they want, you know, and, and have all these options and, and, and we don't. But actually, in the bigger picture, we have quite a good passport. Yeah, I guess it's testament to our government making some good deals over the course of having an Australian passport. Australians are often seen as friendly people, Tom. Have you ever been rejected from a country? Did they just not like the look of you when you got <laughs> to the border? No, I mean, my biggest complaint was like having to go in the longer queue when you're not an EU citizen, but that's about as bad as it gets. Tomorrow on The Briefing, the Australian professor whose act of rebellion helped the whole world understand the coronavirus.
a Podcast One production.